Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Starting a new series today. Um, this series is called Jesus versus Religion. And it sounds like a heavyweight fight. It kind of is. It's not exactly what we're going for. But um, the, the idea of Jesus versus religion came from a series we did back in the spring um, called Following Jesus to the Cross. And what we did is we walked through um, four chapters in the book of Matthew, basically where Jesus said, um, if anyone would come after me, they must take up their cross and follow me daily. And so we walked through four chapters um, and we got to where Jesus was about to enter the city of Jerusalem, um, where he'd be uh, crucified and where he would rise again. Um, but we stopped there and there was a part of me that really wanted to go back to Matthew. Um, just through the summer. There's something about hanging out with Jesus that's more powerful, I think, than maybe any other part of the Bible. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be in this series called Jesus versus Religion, and we're going to go through chapters uh, 21 and t- through 23 of Matthew. And what stood out to me as I read these chapters is that Jesus takes this idea of being a religious person head on. Like Jesus addresses hypocrisy and idolatry in our man-made religion, in our attempts to reach God, and he totally reframes it. And so that's why we're calling our series Jesus versus Religion, because the idea that we're going to unpack over these several weeks is that the way of Jesus opposes the religion of man. All our attempts to, to reach God, all our, all our efforts fall short of what Jesus has for us. And so that's what we're going to get into. I do have a disclaimer, though. Um, Religion is not a bad word. Um, When it's used in the New Testament, it simply means worship. Like if you look at the book of James, it says in James 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in the New Testament, they use the word religion and worship interchangeably. Like you could use it either or. So he's saying, James is saying that worship is, is if, if you want to worship God, go out and serve and, and visit people and, and keep yourself unstained by the world. So we can interpret the word religion just as worship. And, and Tim Keller said that your religion points to what most matters to you. That's what you're religious about. What most matters to you, that's what you worship. So that could be Jesus. That could be another religious figure. Um, That could be a lifestyle. That could be comfort. That could be any number of things um, that we could worship. But that's not what we're going to address today uh, when we talk about being religious. See, the problem with the word religion isn't what it means in the New Testament. It's what it's come to mean today, here and now. Um, if, I'm going to put this up on the screen, but if you look at the Oxford definition on religion, this is the first one. Like, if you were to Google this right now, um, you don't need to because it's up here, although it's kind of hard to read. Um, um, but, but this is what the Oxford Dictionary, how it, it translates religion. Belief in or acknowledgement of some superhuman power or powers, especially a god or gods, which is typically manifested in obedience, reverence, and worship such as a belief as part of a system defining a code of living, especially as a means of achieving spiritual or material improvement. 
that last part is, is where the issue comes in. Are we following Jesus so that we can achieve spiritual or material improvement for ourselves? Because if we are, we're missing it. Um, see, the, that's the last part. Are we following Jesus so we can improve ourselves or justify ourselves? You know, it, that's a lot like other religions. A lot of other religions are work-based. So literally, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you tip over into hell. That's what a lot of other religions believe. And we are, are, ha, kind of have this thing in us that wants to perform. You know, we want to perform, and, and often we do that so we can get what we want from God. Um, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, most men indeed play at religion as they play at games, religion itself being of all games the one most universally played. You know, religion has become a game that we play so that we can really just go and do the things that we want to do, right? It, we we kind of have our time with God so that we can have me time, or we kind of, uh, you know, we, we do our penance almost so that we can enjoy life on our own. And that's what happens when Jesus isn't our ultimate thing. Um, it's easy to replace an active relationship with him with a to-do list that we're constantly working at. You know, and it really comes down to what do we love more? Do we love our life that we've built, or do we love Jesus more? Someone put it this way. He said, religion is a guy at church thinking about fishing. Uh, relationship is a guy out fishing thinking about God. You know, doesn't that, like, make sense? And some of you are like, cool, I'm just going to go fish. Like, that is the permission I need um, to bug out. And that's not what it's saying. But that's the idea of, like, relationship. Is God someone that you carry around with you? that you pray to often? Is he the source of your life, whether that be fishing or driving or shopping or whatever you're doing? Is it a relationship or is it duty? Well, I got to sit through church so I can watch the Seahawks later and feel good about it, right? Unless they play at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but following Jesus and religious activity, they're two very different things. And so understanding the difference between the two is totally critical. Um, so we're going to open up the Gospel of Matthew and look at a scene in there that's a pretty familiar scene. You, you probably have, have, uh, know about this story, but where he's about to enter the city of Jerusalem. Um, this is commonly known as the triumphal entry. And typically, um, we, we talk about the triumphal entry the week before Easter. So if you're really into the church calendar, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm really going to mess it up. But the good news is, is that it's still God's word in September, just like it is in April. So we're just going to go for it. Um, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to read Matthew 21, 1 through 11. It says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on, on their cloaks, and he sat on them. 
most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So to set the scene, this is Passover week. Uh, this is right at the beginning of Passover week. And history records that at this time, um, in Jerusalem, the city would swell to four times its size. Like, they'd have so many visitors that it could swell up to, like, two million people, which for, like, 30 AD is a lot of people in one place. Um, so Jerusalem is buzzing. And here comes Jesus, and he enters the city on this little donkey. You know, what? it's a weird scene. And the, it says the town erupts. The whole city was stirred like an earthquake. So what is going on here? Many people had marched into Jerusalem before. Um, usually people would march into Jerusalem to show their strength. Like they would um, ride in on a horse. And a horse represented military might and strength. And, and like, I'm in charge. Donkeys didn't do that, okay? Donkeys did not represent strength. Um, and it says this, it confirms this Old Testament prophecy um, that your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt. Uh, a beast of burden. And at that time, while horses symbolized power, donkeys symbolized peace. Donkeys purposely put you in a low position, in a vulnerable position. It was a willingness to be lower, lower to the ground. And so when Jesus, who's the, the king of the universe, the king of the kingdom shows up, he doesn't ride in on this mighty horse. He rides in on a little donkey, not even a donkey. He's riding in on that donkey's baby. Like it's as low to the ground as he can get. That, that donkey's so young, the mother actually rides alongside right next to him. So here is Jesus and he's received like a king, but he's a humble king. And that's the first idea that we're gonna look at today is that Jesus didn't come to force us into submission. He never comes to force people into submission. Instead, he offers himself as a humble king. Jesus shows up as a peace offering to the city of Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem had experienced forced submission before. Uh, in 164 BC, almost 200 years before Jesus showed up, there was a, a conquering Greek lord named Antiochus Epiphanes who rode into the city of Jerusalem on a horse um, he rode into the temple, and he burned a pig on the altar to the god Zeus. It was a forced takeover. Um, and if you know anything about, like, the Jewish law, like, a pig was a dirty animal. So not only is he worshiping this false god, he's burning this pig on the altar. And so he brings this forced submission to God, or a false god, I should say. He brings a forced submission to a false god, Zeus. Later, he turns the temple into a brothel. Like, he just, it, it's this ugly, ugly scene. And in Jewish history, it talks about the Maccabean revolt, where this group called the Maccabees uh, rise up from the inside. They revolt, and they take back the city. And when they ride into the city, everybody waves palm branches, the palm branches that represent peace. And now Jesus, as he rides in, they also see him as this figure of peace. And here he is coming in, riding on a donkey. So the, the message 
is that Jesus never forces his way into anyone's life. Jesus never makes people submit. He comes and he offers himself as a peace offering into your life. I think this is smart because when we have people pressure us into something, we generally resist, right? No one likes to be pressured into anything. Um, We don't appreciate being told you have to do this. Uh, My three-year-old definitely doesn't. I don't know about you guys. Um, but that's why we don't like pressured, uh, pressuring salespeople, right? We don't like that knock on the door. Um, when Bonnie and I lived in Montana, we had two guys knock on our door, and we opened it, and uh, they had in their hands this vacuum that they swore would change our lives. They swore it would change everything about our home, and I wanted to shut the door immediately and just be like, my time is my time, no thank you. But Bonnie let them in. I couldn't believe it. I don't know what she was thinking. But she let them in. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't want the guys in there. Um, and, and, and it was weird. I didn't get how, why Bonnie was acting this way. Um, she would uh, listen and say, wow, that does sound good. And wow, those are good features. And, and in 20 minutes, she had these guys cleaning our entire house. <laughs> smart, right? I married a smart woman. Um, and, and these guys, man, these poor guys, they thought they had a sale. Um, they got the price down from $2,100 to $800, and we still said no. And uh, so, so we don't like that, right? There's something in us, but Bonnie's smart, you know? Work with it a little bit, right? Um, work smarter, not harder. Um, but Jesus has every right to demand our submission. He has every right to show up in your life and say, hey, do this now. I'm the king of the universe. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Instead, he, he uses his power to offer himself to us, which is crazy. Um, if you go back to Matthew 20, just right before this chapter, um, Jesus, before he enters Jerusalem, he addresses his disciples and he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many people want power because of the privilege that comes with that power. Many people want power because of, 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 of the privilege and fame that's attached to that. Jesus did not. Jesus used his power to change the world, to give himself away. And Jesus isn't after our submission. Jesus is after our heart. Jesus is a conquering king, but he's not trying to conquer our, you know, force us to do anything. He's trying to conquer our heart by laying himself down. He, he wants us to be caught up in relationship with him, that we would hunger and thirst to be with him. And the only way we're going to do that is if we know that he loves us. And the only way we know that he loves us is that he offered himself freely to us. So Jesus is a mighty king, but he arrives on a little donkey. He becomes last. And it reminded me of working with kids. If you've ever worked with kids, you know that if you want kids to listen, and, you know, maybe I didn't have the best example this morning with my kids up here. No, I'm kidding. Um, But if you want to get kids to listen, you don't tower over them. You get down on their level, and you look them right in the eyes, right? You get down on their level. And that's what this reminded me of. God actually came down to our level and looked us in the eyes, looked us right where we're at, 
to get our attention. It tells us that he cares. It tells us that we matter. And so that's what God has done for his children in Jesus. Look, Jerusalem, here is your king, humble and mounted on a donkey. Because God doesn't want us to just comply. God wants our hearts. That's why he's willing to meet us wherever we're at. He's willing to come down to our level and not just direct commands from above. And there have been times in my life where I felt like God was just telling me what to do from above. I had the wrong image of God. And I felt like I was constantly disappointing God. I felt like I was constantly letting him down. I was thinking God must be done with me because I can never get this right. And I forgot that God comes into our lives on this humble donkey, that God, um, that God humbles himself and comes down to our level and that he's never done with us. If Jesus was willing to humble himself to the point of death for us, he's not going to give up on us. He's not going to let go of us. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we trusting in? Are we trusting in our ability to measure up? Are we trusting in a God who's reached down to grab us, to love us? So where is your trust? If you don't know where you're at, this next point might help bring some clarity. Religion tries to hide our weakness, and Jesus exposes it. When we are trying to measure up, we hide our weakness. We don't want anyone to see that we're frail. And religion creates this major hiding problem in our lives where we don't really feel like we can be where we're at where we don't really feel like we can be honest with people, like we should be farther on down the road. And what religion does is it creates a spiritual resume that we try to hide behind. Well, I'm good because I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And we start putting our trust and our ability to do things instead of our relationship with God. You know, I feel this every time I'm headed to meet with my quad. Like, should I share today? Like, how vulnerable can I be? Like, can I share things honestly with this group of guys? And there's this internal struggle, like, should I share or should I not share? And it's this, we all have this tendency to want to hide um, what's going on in our lives. And I think for me, um, as a pastor, like, I don't want to appear weak in any way. Um, I, might, I know that might surprise you, but I don't. Like, I don't want to appear weak in any way. And it's tough in a small town because we kind of live in a fishbowl. And, and my fishbowl is called Starbucks, um, but we do. We kind of live in this fishbowl, and so there's always this pressure to feel like you have it all together. But if, if, I, if I've learned anything, it's that um, I've learned how weak I am. You know, I was talking to someone this week about how following Jesus, it's like having a flashlight that's shining down on the ground. And as you... Um, look up, you see some of the rocks and some of the weeds, um, but as, it, as you grow in Christ, that flashlight gets closer and closer to the ground, and you see more and more of the, of the weeds in your life, more and more of the things that need to be worked on, and uh, what I find is that as I continue in Christ, God reveals to me more and more of my weaknesses, some that I didn't even know or was aware that I had. And I constantly have to take those weaknesses and give them to him and just trust in him. But because God loves me, I can be secure even though I have weaknesses. Does that make sense? We can be secure even if we have weaknesses. 
See, our religious temptation is to use our spiritual resume to shield us from being vulnerable. Like, no, I've got it together. Like, I'm good. I, I check all the boxes. But when we hang out with Jesus, he exposes more and more of these things that we need to work on in our life. If we hold up our spiritual resume, it prevents us from really having community with one another. It prevents us from really sharing and feeling comfortable sharing openly about how we're doing. But if we truly are following Christ, then we know that we're just putty in God's hands. Like he's got it. He's working on us as a, as a piece of art, but we're just putty in his hands. And so if there are things that he needs to work on, we just let him work on those things. Because if we can't release our spiritual resume, then we can't grow as a Christian. If we can't release our religion, we can't grow. We have to see God's heart for us. We have to see God's heart for us. Uh, in his book called A Kingdom Called Desire, Rick McKinley tells this story about having a conversation with his mentor. And uh, he was at a point where he was really struggling as a pastor. He was just tired and frustrated. And um, this is what he says. He says, I couldn't tell if I was burning out or blowing up. I was playing religious games as well as any Pharisee. In my mind, God had done his job, and now it was time to do mine. Without really knowing it or paying attention to it, I woke up most days hoping I could keep it together enough for God to accept me. Maybe you've felt that before. Um, listen to how his mentor responds. He says, we sat quiet for a while, and I started to squirm. You know that feeling deep in your stomach when you've been found out? That was the feeling. Finally, he looked back at me, leaning forward with his huge eyes and a squint, and as a grandfather would speak to a grandson with great and loving concern, he simply said, God didn't call you to himself to use you, Rick. He called you to love you. And then he leaned back in his chair and he said, God loves you, Rick. Does that stir anything in you? The fact that God didn't call you because he wants to use you for something, but God actually called you because he loves you for you? Because he made you? Like, that's amazing that God didn't call us to use us. God called us because he loves us. And I think either we forget or we don't really believe it. We could have grown up in church and we could have sang, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, over and over and over again, but still it doesn't sink in. But do you know that that's it? Like, that's the missing piece, knowing that God loves you and being secure in that? It's when we know that God loves you and we know that the most important work is completed in Christ, that we can rest, that we can rest, that we can lay our burdens down because Jesus is mightily at work and has been at work. That's what, why we can put down our struggle, our defenses, and our insecurity. Following Jesus allows us to accept the areas in our life that are broken. And it also allows us to give those over to God so that he can change us. But it's, it's not success based on our external attempts. It's success based on his spirit at work in us. And there's no need to hide because God is going to continue to work on us till the day we die. So you need to know this morning that there's nothing that you need to do to earn the love of God in your life. You can, you, there's no show that you can put on that then Jesus will back up and say, okay, now I love you. 
his love is there. It's like a father for a son, a perfect father for a son. There is no end of that love. So how much more is the love of God there for you? A perfect love. And whatever we do that's good, that's called fruit. That's called fruit that comes out of that relationship with God. It's fruit that pours out of a life that's spent with Jesus. Um, so whatever good comes out of our lives is fruit, and that's what God's after. God wants us to bear fruit, not try to measure up. Uh, my favorite verse of all time, if I ever got a tattoo, which I don't know if I would, I'd, I'd, I'd have to be really talked into it, but if I ever got a tattoo, it'd be this verse. It'd be 1 John four nineteen, which says, we love because he first loved us. See, our love is a response to the love of God. I don't think we can really love people well unless we know the love of the Father for our own lives, unless we've received that. Our love for others will be insecure if our love for God isn't secure, if we don't feel at peace in his arms. And here's the main point today. It's this, is that the humble king doesn't inspire us to resist, but he leads us to respond. So the day Jesus shows up, there's a huge response from the crowd. They're laying their cloaks on the ground. They're waving palm branches. They're celebrating this moment. Like I said before, that word stirred up means it was like an earthquake that just ripped through Jerusalem when he enters. And the words that they say as he enters are, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And many of us have probably heard that word Hosanna but it, it kind of gets lumped in with words like hallelujah and amen. Like we don't really know what it means. It just sounds good, right? Um, maybe you do know what it means. But, um, but yeah, it, this word hosanna, what it means is save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. Save us in the highest places. Save our souls. And it refers back to Psalm 118, uh, 25, which says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. When we realize who Jesus is, and we realize our need, then we cry out, save us, O Lord. Whether you've been a Christian for 30 years, or whether you're running from God, when we see God for who he is and how much he loves us, our response is, save us, O Lord. Save me, O Lord, I pray. Because the difference in following Jesus and being religious is recognizing our need that we recognize that we need a savior in our lives, not just once, but throughout our lives. We recognize that our sin separates us from God and there's nothing that we can do to bring us back. We need a savior. And it's sometimes in those most desperate moments of life where this need becomes really apparent. Like we can do pretty good when life is, is normal, but it's when we hit those valleys when the bottom drops out out of life is when we really need, we need someone to save us. Our, that religious facade that we can create, it crumbles uh, when we realize our need. I, I had a good friend in high school and college named Kurt, and uh, Kurt was my roommate in college for the first two years. We were in a band together. Um, and, you know, we, we shared a room for two years, which was a bad idea because we were both really slobs, like, at that point in time. So it just, it was a messy situation. Um, I've been married for 14 now, <laughs> years now. I'm reformed from that <laughs> life. 
Um, but Kurt's thing was being apathetic. Like he just didn't care about anything. Like he didn't, he didn't really care about, it didn't seem like he really cared about much. And that was like his, almost his shtick, like his comedy routine was just not caring about anything. Um, you know, he had actually grown up in a Christian home, but he, you know, he didn't really, he wasn't really engaged with God or anything like that. And so anyway, so um, it, we were in college and, and one Sunday night, we both came back from the weekend from being gone and Kurt comes in and he's just shaken up. I'm like, what happened? And he says, um, I was boogie boarding out on the Oregon coast and I got too far out away from the shore and then I couldn't get back no matter how hard I swam. Like I couldn't get back to shore. I was out there for an hour crying out for help. Nobody heard me. And he said after an hour, he started crying out to God, God save my life. God save my life. A little while later, a rescue boat pulled up, offered him a hand, Kurt got in and went back to shore. You know, it was in that moment, those moments where we realize how frail we are, where our weakness becomes really apparent, our need becomes really apparent. See, we can live a life where we kind of ignore that need. We can kind of convince ourselves that everything's okay and nothing can hurt us. And we all do this, but the reality is, is that we need a savior. We need a provider. We need a healer. We need a rescuer. And Jesus is that for us. Jesus shows up in each of our lives in a rescue boat. When we realize that there's nothing that we can do to swim our way back to shore, he shows up in a rescue boat and offers us his hand, offers us rescue. See, God may use the difficult things in our lives to show us that we need him. He might use the, the tough times in our lives to show us that we, he, we need him more than anything else. We have to depend on him to provide and to heal and to change us when we struggle. So this morning, I just want you to know that there's a rescue boat there for you. That Jesus' hand is outstretched to you, that he's humbled himself, the humble king who's offering his hand to you. And he doesn't inspire resistance in us. He simply offers himself. He leads us to respond. And so as we close today, let's close our eyes this morning. I want you to think about what do you need saving from right now? Is there any part of your life that you need saving from? Is it a, is it a job situation? Is it a family situation? Or have you ever invited Jesus to come into your life? Whatever it is, let's pray for that this morning. If something sticks out to you, write that down on a piece of paper so you have that. God, we all have things in our lives, God, that we need saving from. We need rescue. Lord, when our defenses soften, God, when our heart moves from being hard to soft, we realize, God, that, that we need a Savior. We need someone to interject and intercede in our lives, bring us up out of the pit, out, up, out, out of the mess, whatever that is. 
And so Jesus, I pray, God, that you would rescue us in this time of need. That you would reach down. God, that you would grab hold of us and lift us up to a safe place. Jesus, that we don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We can be honest because we know that you love us. And God, if, if we've heard that before, but it, it just has never sunk in, I pray that, God, in your spirit, that it would sink in this morning, that you love us as a father loves his kids, as a perfect father loves his kids, and that you would go to any length and any depth to be with us, to reach for us and pull us out. So Jesus, I pray, God, that you would be our rescuer, not just now, but forever. When we feel the stress come in our lives, when we feel the, the grief, the loss, when we feel the pain come in our lives, that we would reach out and grab hold of you because we know that you love us. God, you won't abandon us. You won't leave us alone, but you're right there waiting. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. God, help us to know that we're loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.